Let's pray. Now, Lord, we know that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness. So, Lord, would you teach us this morning? Would you correct us? Would you train us in righteousness using these words of the Lord Jesus? By your Spirit, move in us so that we may be changed, that we may live for your glory and your glory alone. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I'd wonder if you would call yourself a people pleaser. Are you someone who changes their behaviour in order to you know, impress people or just to be accepted by people? Now, I think we might all like to push against that that term. We don't want to label ourselves a people pleaser, uh, but in reality, pleasing people is something that we all feel the urge to do. We're social creatures, aren't we? We like to be accepted by others. In fact, we need to be accepted by others. The question is, to what degree do you change your behaviour to, be ple- to please other people? As a child, you you grow up and all you want to do is please your parents, right? And then you become a teenager and all of a sudden you care about pleasing everyone. I remember being a teenager. I remember buying CDs for bands that I did not like because I wanted to be accepted by my friends or people who I wanted to be my friends. The teenage years are, are tricky in that you're trying to impress everyone and then you sort of grow up and you start to feel a little bit more relaxed, a bit more comfortable Sooner or later, you get to the point where you're so comfortable that you stop shutting the door when you go to the toilet and your comfy at-home clothes become your out-of-the-home clothes. Eventually, you're just walking around in slippers and pyjamas and you said, I don't care what anyone thinks. It's wonderful, isn't it? Some of you are there, aren't you? I know it. I've seen you at the shops. (laughs) We are all people pleasers, aren't we? And that's not always a bad thing. The question is, to what degree and who are we trying to please? Take, for example, a marriage. It's entirely right for you to try and please the person you're married to. To actually change your behaviour so that you would be acceptable to them, to please them. But if you, your behaviour to your spouse is being impacted by what someone else thinks... Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Same with raising your kids. You you should try to please your kids. To have them love you. To have them, to be acceptable to them. But if you're, the way that you raise your kids is being impacted by someone else, well, that's actually compromising your relationship with your kids. The people pleasing is okay in some situations, but the question is, who are you pleasing And under what circumstances? Of course, we see people pleasing go wrong, right? Where it turns into hypocrisy. Where you actually start to be someone else around different people. I had a mate growing up who, when he hung around with me and other church friends, he was a lovely bloke. He was great to get along with. One day, I came across him hanging out with his footy friends. And I almost didn't recognise him. 
He was a completely different person. He was carrying on and swearing and and saying disgusting things. And see, it's at that point that you realise you don't know the person. They're putting up an act. They're play-acting. Well, Jesus calls that hypocrisy because in Matthew chapter 6, what Michael just read for us, we see that that same danger of people-pleasing in our relationships is a danger for us in our relationship with God. We're in danger of play-acting when it comes to the things that we do for God. So as we consider this passage together this morning, we're going to see that not only does acting hypocritically towards God, doing things that we say are for God but really are for the approval of others, not only does that rob God of what he is owed, But Jesus is going to show us that it actually robs us of what God wants to give us. And so let's hear what Jesus has to say to us in Matthew chapter 6. In this chapter, uh, Jesus addresses three uh, different topics. He addresses the topic of giving to the needy, of praying, and of fasting, but... If you noticed, as Michael read, in all three of them, he actually makes the very same point, And we see that point highlighted, summarized for us in verse 1. Now, have a look in your Bibles. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Well, the first thing we need to see here is that Jesus is talking about Righteousness, And that's a word that's come up a lot already in the Sermon on the Mount, hasn't it? This whole sermon has been about righteousness. Righteousness is about being right with God and about living rightly as God wants us to live. You could summarise it as loving God and loving our neighbours. Well, the message of the Sermon on the Mount is that None of us are righteous. We're all poor in spirit. Remember right at the start of the sermon, Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they're not righteous. Jesus has told us that we should long for righteousness. Jesus says that we need righteousness to be in his kingdom. And the ultimate kind of answer we see in the Sermon on the Mount is that the righteousness that we need, we can only find as a gift from Jesus. But righteousness, when it comes to loving God and loving our neighbours, is no small thing, is it? It's not an easy thing for us to do. Remember, Jesus has told us that loving God means, well, even being willing to suffer for our love for God. Last week we saw loving our neighbours means even being willing to love people who hate us. Being righteous is difficult. But for those who follow Jesus, we know there is no better way for us to live. We hunger for righteousness. Well, Jesus has already gone on to say lots about righteousness in chapter 6. And we now get to playing that out, practicing our righteousness, living out the righteousness that is loving God and loving others. And the first thing that Jesus wants us to know when it comes to living out our righteousness is that we need to be careful. 
Be careful about how you love God and love others. There's a a warning here. There's a danger. The, The warning sign is up. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, that's actually quite a strange thing for Jesus to say. Be careful that no one sees you is what someone says when you're doing something dodgy. The last time someone told me to be careful that no one sees you was when I was eight years old and my brother was trying to get me to steal lollies from the corner shop. Be careful that no one sees you is something you say when you're doing something bad. But Jesus says, be careful that no one sees you doing good. The other thing that's strange about what Jesus says here is that it almost seems to contradict what he said back in chapter 5 where he told us to be salt and light in the world and to let our light shine so that others may see our good deeds and give glory to God. So what is it? Do we want people to see us or do we want people to not see us? Well, the point here is not whether or not people see us but what the motivation is for us doing good. Are we doing good to please people or are we doing good to please God and to bring glory to him? And so the point's clear, isn't it? Be careful not to practice your righteousness so that you can be seen by people. Don't do good so that others will notice. Don't do good so that others will tell you how good you are. If you do that, says Jesus, well, you've missed the whole point of righteousness. So what is the point of righteousness? How should we do it? Well, Jesus gives us three examples to help flesh it out. And we're going to consider those three examples under the four headings you can see in your outline. First, the reason for doing good. The wrong way of doing good. The right way of doing good. And lastly, the reward for doing good. So we begin with the reason for doing good and the first thing that we need to see is that Jesus doesn't give us one. (laughs) There's not really a reason. Jesus just assumes that we'll do good. Do you see that in verse 2? He says, so when you give to the needy, he doesn't try and convince you to give to the needy, he just assumes you're going to do it. When? It's the same in verse 5 when he talks about prayer. When you pray, have a look at verse 16, when you fast. Jesus takes it as an absolute given that we will do these things if he is our king. We will do these and many other things, but including giving, praying and fasting. Now, they might seem like obvious things to you, but you know, for the benefit of people like me who are a bit thick, why? Why do we do these things? The short answer is God tells us to. And if the one who created the whole universe and who gives us life and sustains us every day and who decides where we're going to spend the rest of eternity tells you to do something, you should do it. But there's actually a better reason. Each of these things, praying, giving, fasting, they're all acts of righteousness. They're ways that we practice our righteousness because they show that we are trusting in Jesus for righteousness. Did you get that? That they're acts of righteousness because they demonstrate that we're trusting in Jesus for righteousness. 
And so the gospel teaches us that we can't be right by doing things. That no amount of money that you give to the needy, no amount of prayer, no amount of fasting is going to make you right with God. But each of these things show that you're trusting in Jesus to deal with your sin and to make you right with God. So when it comes to giving to the needy, we don't give so that we can earn our spot in heaven. We give because we have received. Now, we might be among the richest people who have ever lived on the planet, but we have a need so great that no amount of money could fix. We were dead in sin. We were lost. We were in darkness. But God, who is rich in mercy, gave us life in Jesus. God loved us so much that he addressed our greatest need at the cost of the life of his precious son. He has given us so much. And so as those who have been spiritually and physically blessed, we bless others. Freely we have received and so freely we give. That means we give without judgment. We give without strings attached. We give without expecting to be paid back. We give even when it hurts because we know that we have been given more. And so friends, if you're uh, a child of God, if you trust in Jesus, uh, know the joy that it is to give. It's a wonderful privilege that we have to share what we what God has blessed us with, with those in need. Pursuing righteousness means loving God and loving our neighbours and and loving neighbours means giving, means being kind and compassionate and generous with what we've received. Uh, That's giving to the needy, the same with prayer. Prayer shows us or shows others that we are trusting in God. Because what is prayer but expressing our dependence on Him? We're going to come back next week and look at the Lord's Prayer in the middle of this section. So we'll come back to prayer. Uh, But what we need to know for now is that prayer is us being children of our Heavenly Father. And what do children do? I'll show you what my children do. This morning when I got up, I was bombarded with questions. What are we going to do today? What's for breakfast? What am I going to wear? Why do you have a mole on your face? Why did you do that? Why are we going? Why? 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 It's hard to deal with before a coffee, uh, but I wouldn't have it any other way because that is my kids showing that they depend on me. They need me. It's a good thing, even if it can be a hard to swallow thing. When kids express their dependence, they're they're expressing something that's true about their relationship with their parents. It's the same for us as God's children. We, We need him. There is not one thing that you have that didn't come from him. And so it is perfectly right for us to be tugging on God's hand incessantly and asking him for things questioning him about things, complaining about things, expressing our affection for him. 
We are his children, and so it is right that we pray to show that we trust him. If we trust Jesus, we will give, we will pray. Uh, Lastly, Jesus expects that we will fast. Now, this one's a little bit interesting because fasting has really kind of gone out of fashion with Christians. I don't really know why, but... I've not really been encouraged to fast much in my life. I don't know if you have. But if we look at Scripture, if we let Scripture be our guide, well, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's people regularly practiced fasting. And there's absolutely no reason for us to think that fasting is no longer good for us. Now, fasting, uh, if you're not aware, fasting is going without food or drink or both. Uh, for as little as one meal up to many days and weeks. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that people choose to fast. There's a bunch of different things that fasting does. At a basic level, fasting can help you overcome sinful desires. You know, if, if gluttony and greed is an issue for you, fasting can actually train you out of that. Fasting can be a way of denying yourself for the benefit of others. So, for example, you go without dinner tonight, what you would have eaten, you give to someone in need, or the money that you would have spent, you give to someone in need. But most commonly in the Bible, fasting is about expressing humility towards God or seeking God's guidance. It's it's almost always tied up with prayer. It's a way of dedicating more time and more energy to serious prayer. It can be a way of expressing your humility towards God, particularly over sin, like the Ninevites did in the time of Jonah. Jonah came eventually and proclaimed God's judgment on their sin. And what did they do? They fasted. Saul, after he was converted on the road to Damascus, he fasted, lamenting over his sin. We can also do it to seek God's future help, like uh, Queen Esther and Mordecai did uh, at the the threat of uh, Haman's plot to wipe out the Jews. They fasted, seeking God's help. Jesus himself Fasted before he began his public ministry, and the church in Antioch, before sending Paul and Barnabas out on a missionary journey, they fasted and prayed for God's guidance. It's certainly not just an Old Testament thing. This is something that the New Testament says as a, just assumes that we will do it. So have you considered fasting? Jesus says, when you fast. Well, there's our three examples that Jesus gives us, and he simply assumes that his people are going to do them. But his emphasis here is not on whether we do them, it's on how we do them and why we do them. And we see there that there is a wrong way of doing good things. The wrong way to do good is to do it for the recognition of other people. And so in verse 2, Jesus says, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Likewise, when you pray, in verse 5, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by 
others. And then again in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, as they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. And when it comes to giving to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. Don't call a press conference and hand over a giant novelty check. Don't get your plaque plastered on the wall. Don't have your photo alongside the other platinum sponsors. It's the kind of thing we see in the corporate world, don't we? Companies giving with an ulterior motive. They're giving to a good cause, but really as a way of promoting themselves, creating a more positive image. And this came out in the news last year. The optometry store, Oscar Wiley, was trying to win over their customers. And over five years, they advertised everywhere, in their stores, online, social media, everywhere. They advertised that they would give away a pair of glasses for every pair of glasses that they sold. It was a great idea. People embraced it. You felt good about buying a pair of glasses because you know they were going to donate a pair to someone in need. It was a good idea, except when it became apparent that after selling 300,000 pairs of glasses, Oscar Wiley had donated 3,000 pairs to charity, and they didn't even have lenses in them. It felt good to see the fine that they copped from the ACCC. But that's that's the attitude of the corporate world, and Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't do good so that you might gain from it. Don't be a hypocrite. It's hypocrisy because what it does is it turns giving around, doesn't it? It takes giving and makes it about receiving. In in the act of giving, if we're looking for the praise of others, well, we're not really concerned about who we're giving to. We're concerned about ourselves. Likewise, for prayer and fasting, if you're praying to God so that other people will notice, and if you're fasting so that people will see that you're fasting and so that you can tell people about how much you're fasting and how amazing you are for fasting, you've missed the point. You've taken things that are supposed to be about God and you've made them about yourself. Friends, I wonder if you see yourself in any of these images from Jesus. It's worth asking ourselves a hard question. Do you find yourself doing good so that other people will notice? Does it even cross your mind what other people are going to think about what you're doing? And are the things that you do for God really about God or are they about stroking your own ego? Here's some questions to help you reflect on that, to ask yourself. Uh, Are you more likely to respond to a young, attractive charity worker asking for donations than you are to respond to a letter or an email asking for donations? There's a reason they're young and attractive, the people that the charities get to collect for them, isn't there? We want to be loved by them. We want their approval. We want their smile. We we crave that attention. Are you more likely to give when you can get that 
than to give anonymously? Are you more likely to give in situations where someone will notice your gift? Or do you ever find yourself saying no to supporting a good cause because it's not tax deductible? His friends, if you answered yes to any of those questions, it may be that you actually love receiving more than you love giving. Do you pray more in Bible study than you do by yourself? Are you more likely to say yes to serving at church when it's in an upfront role, a role that people will notice, than something that's behind the scenes? Do you feel the urge to tell people about the contributions that you've made to the church or to the mission field? Friends, if you answered yes to any of those questions, well, it's possible that you love your own glory more than you love God's. And Jesus calls it hypocrisy. When we act that way, we're not only lying to ourselves, we're lying to the people we're trying to impress, but worst of all, we're lying to God. We're telling him that we value him, that we trust him, that we love him. When in reality, the thing that we crave most is our own sense of self-worth, our own pride, the praise of others. And friends, if we can't take our eyes off our own glory, we'll never see God's. That's the wrong way of doing good. What's the right way? What do we do about it? Well, the answer, says Jesus, is secret service. The problem with our righteousness is not the action itself, but the motivation, the thing that lies behind it. And a good way to take away the motivation to impress others is to take away the others. Over the course of the COVID pandemic, one of the things that's been most difficult for me to deal with is watching sport with empty stadiums. Uh, It just looks really weird to see 15 guys on a footy field and a stadium that should be full of 100,000 people completely empty. Now, it's strange to watch it. Uh, You talk to the players and some of them really struggle with it. I've seen interviews of footy players saying that they they, they can't play as well without the crowd there. They need the roar of the crowd, the energy of the crowd to motivate them to be great. Well, friends, if the crowd around you is tempting you to be great in your own eyes, there's a solution that Jesus proposes is get rid of the crowd. Do your righteousness in an empty stadium. So when it comes to giving, Jesus says, don't even let your, right hand, uh, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, clearly that's not possible. But the point is clear, isn't it? The way to stop yourself from seeking the praise of people is to not even give yourself the opportunity to praise yourself. Do it in secret. Do it anonymously. Put cash in an envelope and give it. And then most importantly... Forget about it. Move on. Don't dwell on it. Don't remind yourself of how generous you've been. (laughs) Move on. 
Secrecy helps us avoid the pitfalls of self-glory when it comes to giving. And in verse 6, Jesus tells us that the same is true when it comes to praying. If you're tempted to make prayer more about what other people think of you than about you seeking God, take away the people. Pray pray in your own room. Shut the door. Don't let people know that you're praying. In verse 17, Jesus applies that same thing to fasting. If you're fasting, don't go moaning and groaning and telling everyone about the fact that you're fasting. Get up, get dressed, wash your face, get ready like you would any other day so that your focus will be on God, not on others. Now, friends, while secrecy is a great solution to the symptoms of people-pleasing, in this passage, Jesus actually shows us something better. Jesus gives us the cure for people-pleasing. Taking away the audience can help us, but there's one thing that will help us most of all, and this brings us to the final point, the reward for doing good. Because if you've been paying attention, you'll have noticed that Jesus has brought up the topic of reward quite a few times. He said in verse 1 that if we do our acts of righteousness in order to be seen by others, we will have no reward. And then in verses 4 and 6 and 18, Jesus repeats the same line. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And our ears prick up, don't they? But Jesus doesn't tell us what the reward is. He doesn't say anything. He just says that that the Father who sees us will reward us. Well, there's a few things that we can say. Firstly, there's two kind of kinds of rewards. There are artificial rewards where the reward is kind of completely disconnected from the activity that's being rewarded. A great example of this is the gold medal at the Olympic Games, right? There is nothing about running 100 metres really fast that warrants a gold medal. A gold medal is completely disconnected from the activity. It's an artificial reward. A natural reward is one where there's an extension of the activity is the reward. And a great example of that is growing your own food. If you've got a veggie garden, the work that you put into getting that soil just right and planting those seeds and keeping it alive long enough for it to mature and be ready to eat. Well, eating that food is the reward of the activity. It's a natural extension of the activity, right? When Jesus tells us that God rewards our good deeds... It's safe to say that he can't be talking about an artificial reward. Because that would lead us straight back into the hypocrisy that Jesus is warning us about, wouldn't it? Uh, If you are doing good, if you're giving to the needy so that God will reward you in some way, well, that's no different from giving to the needy so that people will reward you in some way. Both of them take our eyes off the, the giving, off the righteousness, off the loving our neighbour and make it about loving ourselves. It, it can't be an artificial, disconnected reward that Jesus is talking about. 
What Jesus has in mind is a, is a natural reward, a reward that is an extension of the good deed itself. And certainly loving our neighbours is rewarding. Giving is good for us. Jesus himself says it is better to give than to receive. But friends, I want to share that there's actually more than that. It's not just that a good deed is its own reward. That is true, but it's more than that. When we do acts of righteousness for God, we win his approval. Doing what God wants is rewarding because we get the joy of knowing that the God who created the universe, who created you, is happy with you. We get to long for those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, that is the greatest reward that you will ever find. When you know that the God who is in control of the whole universe is pleased with you, is happy with you, you don't need the approval of any other person in this life. Who cares what anyone else thinks if God thinks well of you? And so friends, let me leave you with that encouragement this morning. If you live your life trying to please other people, if you find yourself crippled in your mind about what other people will think of every action that you do, you might win some likes, you might gain some friends, you might feel good about yourself for a few moments, but friends, that is all you'll get. Jesus says that the hypocrites have got their reward in full. That's all they're going to get. The approval of man, which is so fickle, it's fleeting, it changes, it goes away straight away. But friends, if you live your life for God, if you serve God for God's sake, not for your own sake, If you express your trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins by loving God and loving your neighbours, friends, you win God. You get Him. He is someone worth pleasing. And so, friends, let me encourage you. Serve God for God's sake. Let's pray. Our Lord God, there is no other, there's nothing else, no no one else that is worth us pleasing when we can please you. Lord, would you help us to take our eyes off our own glory so that we may see yours and that we may live for yours. Father, we do crave attention. We crave uh, the acceptance of others, we crave their praise. Lord, help us to see that these things won't satisfy us. Help us to live for your praise, for your acceptance, for your approval. May we live our lives each day with, as an audience of only one. May we set aside the thoughts of others and be single-mindedly devoted to pleasing you 
Lord, I pray that that would change the way that we give. I pray that that would change the way that we pray. I pray that that would change the way that we fast. I pray that it would shape every aspect of our lives. Lord, in our families, in our workplaces, in our private lives, may we live for your glory and your glory alone. Because we know that it is this that will satisfy. It is this that will bring true joy. It is in you that we will find true acceptance and belonging and love. Lord, may we live for that, we pray. In Jesus' name.